This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Everybody and welcome to Front Office Futures. Our guest this week is Mark Gress Jr., partner at Prodigy Sports. Uh, been with them for over five years. Founded by Scott Carmichael, one of the probably top premier recruiting uh, firms in our business. Uh, key clients, obviously, as most people will hear these names, will be very familiar with Yankees, AEG, Cowboys, Bruins, our Liverpool team, recent placement within our organization, and pretty much everyone. So welcome, Mark, and thanks for joining. Thanks for having me, Chris. So I think to start, I think uh, obviously most of us who have been in the business for a while are very familiar with Prodigy, but if you want to give a quick high-level overview of what Prodigy does and how it's evolved over the past 15, 20 years and and kind of your role on a day-to-day basis. Sure. Well, as you mentioned, Scott founded the company after a long career on the team and league side. He was a big hockey guy, obviously grew up in LA, uh, raised, you know, started his family there and um, worked for the, the Kings, among others. Um, we joked that he got to start as a Lakers ball boy uh, back in the 70s, which uh, there's plenty of stories to be told there. Um, but he enjoyed his time. Obviously, he worked during the Gretzky years, the Kings, and um, ultimately was offered a, a role in New York City, um, really at the start of the NHL's club services group, and uh, was there for about 10 years. And, and um, you know, eventually wanted to start his own gig, you know, put it put his, um, you know, I guess a foundation in for, uh, for a search firm, thinking that he could leverage his team and league experiences. And, um, and obviously knew it was a competitive space uh, roughly 13, you know, or, or more years ago when he started the firm. Um, obviously, there's a few agencies that, that already existed in the in sports entertainment world. But um, when Scott started the firm, it was really a one-person shop. Obviously, we've grown at our peak uh, to a staff of 10, uh, one of the larger boutique agencies within sports and entertainment. So um, with a team roughly of six recruiters among that 10. And our focus, as you mentioned, you mentioned some of the clients, um, it really was sports entertainment focus at the beginning. We joked that and it sounds bad to say this is where it started and, it, and it's not like we haven't evolved, but the Cowboys were a big client at the very beginning. The Lakers were a big client, um, you know, Delaware North, the Bruins. I mean, so we had a lot of clients that we started with 13 plus years ago that are still clients to this day. Um, and I say we have evolved in that then it became the UFC, the PGA Tour, uh, Top Golf, and and so we we love the expansion into those spaces. Uh, but we've also done searches in the nonprofit space. wasn't quite Scott's vision, I would guess, 13 years ago. Um, but you know, when we when we have the opportunity to work with um, organizations like um, USC, or we just did a search, uh, believe it or not, for a nonprofit that was in the risk management and insurance space. But we got that because of our sports background. Um, we filled an executive director job for an organization called Disabled Sports USA. And a member of their board called us and said, hey, we know this you know, risk management insurance, by the way, we know it's not what you do, um, but you know, it's still a senior level position. So we've evolved typically, yeah, teams and leagues, uh, but it's fun to do searches in minor league sports, college sports, but also within media, 
um, and even entertainment. I mentioned Top Golf, but Six Flags, Live Nation, you know, organizations that you don't think about because they're not part of the Big Four, or Big Five. So this 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 interview hits home for me. I, I uh, Prodigy's located at Freehold, New Jersey, correct? Your headquarters. Yep. Yes. Sir. So I I grew up in Neptune, New Jersey. Um, my parents are still there, Jersey right. Shore. So I've been very familiar with Prodigy Sports for a long time, uh, having started my career in New Jersey with the Giants and Devils. So uh, talking to someone back home is always always a treat for me. And uh, we typically have spoken with most individuals who either work for a league organization or so forth. And I was really excited to get this conversation based on the fact that I think the perspective that you can provide to some of our listeners of like what you do and, and like literally you're the one that's kind of a gatekeeper to get folks into this business, right? So you talk to all walks of life, you see what people do well. Uh, can you kind of talk about uh, how you got into this world in terms of recruitment and, and then from Drexel and how you landed here? Yeah, I mean, you bring up a great point. And at the end of the day, um, I, when I get invited to classrooms or you know, I'm speaking to colleges or I'm, I go to a, a networking event or perhaps a conference where I'm on a panel and they start talking about careers, um, when you ask me that question, when you bring it up, I, you know, a few different ideas come to my mind. And, and one of which is I don't think people typically think about agencies like ours, right? When, and if you do hear the word agency, you might think about Wasserman or CAA or, again, or what you guys, right? I mean, so, so they don't always gravitate towards an agency like a prodigy or any of our competitors that, that do recruiting and executive search. Um, but our role very much is influential in the industry. Uh, listen, we're blessed and, and, and obviously honored to have worked with all the teams and leagues that have trusted us with their, their HR and their recruiting needs. Um, but I didn't think about that coming out of college. I mean, to, to go back to your, your, your question, um, I worked in college, I have, you know, college athletics, pro sports. Um, but right out of college, I worked, I worked for one of prodigy's direct competitors. So I, you know, I didn't think about recruiting, didn't have any courses in HR, um, you know, and nobody here on staff, we joke about that, uh, Scott, nobody on staff here, you know, people that have been in this industry for, you know, for three years or, or, you know, 25, 30 years, none of them went to school thinking they wanted to be an executive recruiter or be an HR. And so that was a little, a little bit of a unique turn. Um, but to your point about Jersey as well, listen, that's the other side of it, um, you know, for, for um, opportunities that might exist. Um, there's two, there's, you know, there's two large search firms in sports entertainment within the state of New Jersey. And that's, a, that's an oddity, right? We're, we're not in New York. We're not in LA. Um, now there, there are obviously some competitive ours that are in the larger, you know, cities like that, but, um, you know, on our side, you know, you said about being the gatekeeper, I think one of the beauty, one of the beautiful parts about what we do every day, I think it's, it's trying to get, um, you know, these organizations fully staffed with people that fit their culture, uh, and at the end of the day, I think, you know, it's a buzzword now. I know it's a buzz phrase, but our goal, and, and it's always been this way, but I think, it, I think it's come to light more. Now it's about diversifying these front offices too. Not, the, not just the traditional definition and the textbook definition of diversity, although that's critically important. It's also about bringing our industry unique backgrounds, right? I mean, teams and leagues and saying, hey, this person comes from entertainment or this person comes from media. Here's why we believe their skill sets transferable. Because at the end of the day, it hits home for me. I never had a recruiting experience, but I thought what I did prior to getting into recruiting translated over well. I thought the relationships and contacts I had translated over well. And that was the story I told going back you know, to my initial job interview 15, 18 years ago. Uh, you, you just mentioned something that we, we talk about regularly at Fenway. And I know most organizations are, are definitely struggling with this and diversity. And diversity, like you mentioned, necessarily not about ethnic backgrounds. But have you seen an evolution from organizations being more open to bringing in folks at senior levels that necessarily hadn't worked in sports for their whole career? Yeah, and it's by, you know, by that definition, too, I think what we've found, or at least what's what's come to light, is it, it depends on the discipline, right? And that's painting a broad stroke, I'm aware, but 
I think some um, business functions within you know teams and leagues, um, it, it depends on on the actual um, you know whether it's sales, marketing, HR, operations, finance, literally go every business function in the organization. Uh, I think we see it in more more than others um, because I think just because of track record, ease of what we found, we did a couple of surveys a few years ago, and I think what people tell us is, you know, track record of success, and but also the ability to hit the ground running, not a ton of training and onboarding, right? There are barriers, and I get that. But if you are looking at somebody, you know, for um, human resources or or even marketing, um, I would say finance, right? There's certain ones where it's easy, right? I mean, if you bring them from one industry to the other, it's easier, I think, I think transfer that over. Um, some are not as easy, right? Sponsorship sales, ticket sales, right? I mean, two of the biggest, you know, departments at a lot of organizations, searches that we do all day, every day, it's harder, you know, it's not impossible. It's just harder for us to kind of tell that story, right? And I'll give you some examples, right? Bring somebody in from radio or TV sales and saying, hey, we think they would be great for a sponsorship sales role. Some organizations all over it, they eat it up. They think, it, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and others, because it didn't work once or twice, they don't want to go down the path again. And I can't fault them, right? If it didn't work, it was a big hire, it was a risky hire. Uh, and they invested a lot of time and energy and that person didn't cut any deals because it was, you know, wasn't transactional, then, then so be it, right? And even ticket sales, right? I would say us trying to say, and this is I'm being a little bit facetious here, but saying, you know, this person sold tickets to local movie theater, we think they could sell, you know, season tickets for the Yankees. Okay, maybe not, right? I mean, and, and, and so I'd say certain, you know, certain areas where we've seen a lot of success, I, you know, I know, you know, local, you know, local organization here in the New Jersey, New York market just hired a senior a, you know, HR, chief, uh, chief HR officer. That person came, came from outside of sports, right? Um, when we do some senior level marketing roles, um, you know, VP of marketing, CMO, we think we can bring some candidates that have a non-sports background because they bring new and fresh ideas, right? So I don't think it's ever a bad idea, but we understand the concern. So we, we try to politely push back, but we understand when an organization says, hey, it's not going to work, we're not going to force the issue just to fill a position. What do you think the hardest transition is for folks who don't work in the industry and try and come into our industry, right? Because like that's, like you mentioned, the, the, I could see HR and, and marketing being probably an easier adjustment, but why is it that ticket sales and corporate sales is so hard for folks to, to transition from what they were doing previously to, into our world? You know, a million dollar question. I, I think some people talk about the idea of the, the hours, right? The nights, the weekends, the travel, and maybe there's some validity to that. I, I don't know if I always buy into that. I think that's a little bit, maybe that was something that was, you know, that existed either at an entry level or, or maybe that was something prior Listen, my wife's a CPA. She works long hours. She works weekends. Like I don't see her for, for a period of two and a half months every year, right? So every industry has long hours. So so it's a matter of now. Listen, if you only want the nine to five, you don't want to. You know, maybe it's a family situation or you just don't want to work nights and weekends. Okay, and that's the hurdle. I, honestly, I think if I think the reality of coming into an organization and saying it's not easy, right? I think because people think it's sunshine and rainbows. Um, people think that that selling the products that we do. I think about recruiting, right? People want to work at Prodigy or any of our competitors, and they come from an IT recruiting background or a healthcare recruiting background, and they work with Fortune 500, Fortune 1000, whatever it might be, and they, they think they can do what we do. Not that what we do is brain surgery, by the way, but it's just be, it's not glamorous, right? I mean, it's, it is, it's a still a job. It's still a business. So recruiting and filling positions within sports and entertainment, they come in and they think they can, it's not a slam dunk, right? So so I think what you, what you do, what some of your colleagues do within ticket sales and corporate sales, I think they think it's going to be easy, right? And that's the reality of it is, um, you know, just because – that's what we do when we go home, right? We put the TV on, we watch a game or we, you know, on, on weekends or, or nights, we, you know, we bring our family to a sporting event and we see that, you know, we see everything. We don't see the behind the scenes stuff. We think it's easy. And it's, and again, I'll use sunshine and rainbows again. We don't think about that. It's still a job and it's still, it's still hard to cut deals in our space. It's, it's very hard to cut deals in our space. Yeah. It's, it's funny. I, I've, I was in the 
NHL, NFL, and then I went down within the Devils down to the minor leagues and, and really had to grind to sell. And then when I came to Fenway a few years back, people were like, oh, you must, people just must call you to, to buy those signs. I'm like, I have never experienced a call on in sponsorship sales in my life. The day that happens is the day I run around the office because yeah. to your point, it's just, it's not easy. It's, it's even though you'd think like, oh, you work for the Red Sox, the Yankees, the Cowboys, those things don't come in. I mean, the endemics, they happen with the the beverages and the, and the, the beer and the alcohol categories. But beyond that, like you are really working hard to make those those partnerships happen because the ROI and the data and the way sales has evolved, the way people measure stuff has really changed. So yeah. um, so how are you guys at Prodigy approaching a recruit? Like, let's take a very just generic opportunity. Like a, 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 we'll go uh, a senior management position. Do you Are you guys active in the marketplace trying to reach out to the folks that you think might be uh, interested or are you doing more like, Hey, we posted this job, let's see who comes to us. Like, what do you guys do in terms of making sure that you're, you're getting the right candidates? Yeah. You know, one of the things that we talk about here and, and, and listen, if we're, if we were talking to, to a potential client right now, I think one of the things that we offer to do to them and, and one of the, um, one of the greatest pieces of, of uh, value that we bring to them is finding the passive job seeker, but to take a step back, you know, listen, a lot of teams and leagues within our industry are staffed so lean in terms of HR and talent acquisition. And there's nothing wrong. I mean, it, well, there might be something wrong with that, actually. But that's the good, yeah. the good The good news is we have a job because they are staffed so lean. And, and I give the recruiters and the, and, the, and the HR people within our industry a ton of credit because they do a lot, right? And, and they do recruiting. They do benefits. You know, you, you name it. They, you get on the laundry list of things that they do within HR departments. And, and they're incredibly talented people that do that. But I would say the fact that they're not staffed um, so robust is the is the reason that we have um, you know is the way we the reason we have business, but we also have deep network. Sorry, so our pitch is right is that we have a deep network of contacts that we we have we know and that we've worked with, right? And I guess we can lean on Scott a little bit, um, and, and you know other members of our staff that have worked for teams and leagues, right? So if we've worked with them, we've worked alongside them, we can at least say that we're not just sitting behind a table and saying, well, we're recruiters and, and we have this expertise. We've seen them in action. Um, but to the heart of your question very, very small percentage of people that are applying on our job board or contacting us through social media because they've seen our postings, right? We actually made it a conscious effort. This is kind of, and it's, there's good and bad with this, right? Um, our SEO is pretty good. We do a good job on social media, but we made a conscious effort maybe about a year or two ago of, and it's still on our homepage. You can find it. We still have a job board. It's still on our homepage. There's a small link. It's hidden though. It's not out in front. We don't really social, hey, go to our job board. Um, you know, and, and listen, maybe that hurts us from a marketing perspective. Maybe that hurts us from a getting positions out there perspective. But what we realized was we were having greater success finding passive job seekers, people that are employed, people that are doing well, um, that aren't necessarily looking for a role. Maybe they want advancement or maybe they're, they're more responsibilities, more pay. We get whatever larger title, whatever the, whatever the reasons are. Um, but the reason being, and it's not knocking any of the people that rely on job boards because they can have value is we started to find people that weren't qualified for the job throwing their hat in the ring, right? And, and not even not even mildly, not just that they were a little bit too junior for, for a big job, right? We have a, a VP of, of marketing or we have a chief revenue officer job posting and we have somebody with, you know, only five years of experience applying for those jobs. No, we were getting people that, you know, worked at the local Starbucks, right? Or people that, um, you know, I use the movie theater, we worked at the movie theater applying and you're just like, they don't, they don't get, so we almost tried to get some of the, you know, some of the people that weren't qualified for our industry applying for those jobs. Most of our work is is outbound, making calls. Now, I'm not saying we don't use LinkedIn. You know, LinkedIn Recruiter, we pay a lot of money for LinkedIn Recruiter, but we have a database that has, you know, 15,000 people in it. So we go, okay, these are people that we know, right? People that we've engaged with for searches going back 13 years. 
um, that we can call and we have their cell phone, we have their, their home email, right? We're not going to, we're not going to ruffle any feathers at their office, but we're going to contact them because we know their history, what they want to make, where they want to work, what their family story is. We rely very little on inbound, but we do once in a while, again, to your point, once in a while, once in a blue moon, somebody's going to apply on the job where we're going to go, holy cow, didn't see that coming. Great. Let's call them. And, and maybe, you know, they stumbled upon something we put out there on Twitter or LinkedIn that we have a new client and, you know, we got lucky, but it's, it's a rarity. So you went to Drexel, right? Yes. And now you're back there teaching. Yeah. Yeah. So in terms of, I mean, you're, you're, you're in the sports management world with the kids, um, specifically why this podcast was created. Uh, just Rob and myself, my partner have had many conversations over our 16 years in this business with folks who are always looking for advice and a way in and, and what you do with, I'm sure on a day-to-day basis is, and see this firsthand is a lot of, a lot of people just have misinformation about our industry. So how, what are you doing in, as a professor uh, to help kids prepare to, to be like when they have a conversation with myself or the Red Sox or, or AEG to, to stand out and be different? You know, I started, um, two, so two of my roles, the, the one, um, one prior role, one that I'm doing now. So obviously I'm, I'm an adjunct professor at Drexel teaching in their graduate program. Um, and a prior role that I had um, earlier in my career, I was actually acting as a career counselor for sport management students and alumni from Drexel. So it was kind of two different things where that question comes up often, right? And I, and I think, um, A, knowing that it's competitive, right? Because there, to your point, there's a lot of undergraduate, graduate schools and, and frankly, even online schools that offer the program. So they think, I think the biggest thing is once you get the degree, there's not just going to be a line waiting on the door to offer you a job, right? So there's there's difference between what the, graduating with this degree and getting a degree in engineering from MIT, or you know, so, or, or a degree in finance from NYU, just a bit. right? <laughs> yeah, so, just a bit. So, so people aren't lining up. You know, there's no Fortune 500. It's you know, uh, there's not a big four accounting firm or Lockheed Martin. They're not not you know, they're not knocking at your door for a job in sports, right? It doesn't usually go that way. So um, I think knowing that it's competitive, right, it is is one of the big things. But I'll tell you that one thing I tell the graduate students I teach now, and when I was a career counselor back then, what I would tell the students. Is, is, is not just being flexible and open to geography because I can't, listen, I can't be a hypocrite on my side because of my, my wife's job or me or my family. I might be limited to the tri-state area. And frankly, that might be a lot of people in our industry. That's fine. But being flexible in terms of, of location is one thing. But the biggest thing I actually tell them is being open to the types of companies you might work for. Right now, if you go back 15, 20 years ago, there was no FanDuel and DraftKings, right? There, yeah. um, and, and there was no Topgolf. Um, so I think people that only gravitate towards the big four, A, the big four is a big, you know, is, is a mistake because MLS is huge and their MLS is growing. Um, look, why not looking at the NBA uh, G League, right? Why not looking at NASCAR or motorsports, right? I think people that kind of zero in on the big four, because listen, the big four is sexy, right? So I, I get why that's why people, but I met with somebody the other day and I was like, hey, Parks and Recreation, YMCA's, right? There's another part of sports and entertainment that you can start there, by the way, and it doesn't need to be where your end goal is. By the time you're 40 or 50 or 60, you know, when you're there at 21, you're going to learn a lot and get... My biggest regret, actually, to be honest, Chris, is that I never worked in minor league sports. That 100%, and I, I, told, I told somebody, I was on a panel last week, and I said, the fact that I never worked in minor league sports means that I didn't know the grind of do, working in every department, right? Being the mascot, pulling the tarps, you know, cold calling people, you know, I go in grassroots marketing in the city I work in. I, I actually have a regret that I never worked in minor league sports. And I, so I think people getting outside of that idea of working in the big four, fresh out of school, holy cow, there's a million jobs out there. There's just, there's a ton. The, you're preaching what we try and instill on a regular basis, because I think people get hung up on saying who they work for and what their business card says, rather than getting the right opportunity for a chance to grow and learn. Right. So <clears throat> look, I, I, 
not being hypocritical, but I work for Fenway now, but to your point, I worked in the minors. I was at the New Jersey Devils and decided to go down to the minors in our organization because I wanted that experience to say like, I get to do, I get to do everything. My hands are involved in everything. When you get to the big four, your job title is all you do, right? Like there's no like, oh, I'm going to be, today I'm selling tickets, tomorrow I'm in marketing, tomorrow I'm in the mascot suit. We're, they're too big for that. So we really always try to encourage our listeners to be like, listen, find the right role, not the name of the company, specifically when you're 22 years old and you yeah. need that experience. You need that mentorship. You need to figure out what you still like, what you don't like. So that's, I mean, that's great advice. I mean, the other piece that we always talk about, and this seems to be, probably true to 15, 20 years ago was your only way in is through sales, right? You have to go to ticket sales you get your yeah. foot in the door and then you can go do whatever you want. I find that to be completely misguided now. If you come into ticket sales and you are successful and you're putting numbers on the board, that last thing that organization is going to do is remove you from sales and put you all of a sudden PR and cumulations, right? So what is your advice to folks who are like, oh, my only way in the door is through a ticket sales job? Yeah. You know, and it's funny you say that that was, well, I always, I do, I do agree. I always said that was a thing that was, you know, maybe 10, 15, 20 years ago where that was the, the you know, again, whether um, you heard it, you read about it, you know, at a, at a panel or you went to a career fair and that was, um, I, I think, and this goes back to what we were just saying a second ago, if you're going to look outside the big four, by the way, that's even less of an issue, right? Not that you won't do any sales uh, or, or ticket sales, I guess, but, but if you, if, it, if the big four is your, is your, um, is the ultimate goal and it's your only goal, then again, maybe there's still some truth to that, but I, I always dislike the idea and the notion that if you're just going to get in through ticket sales and then try to weave your way through 10 different departments, you still need to be successful in ticket sales, by the way, and you still need to be passionate about some, some sort of sales. But by the way, I, and I, and I, um, so the event I was referring to, I was at, a, at an event last week, um, and it was about women in sports, and I, I, somebody came up to me afterwards, and I said, she said, I hate sales, don't want to do sales. I said, that's fine. And I said, I, and, I, and, and to that point, I would not go applying for a million ticket sales jobs right now. But I also said to her, you have to realize you're selling in, in every job anyway, whether you're in PR or I said uh, recruiting. I said, do you think what I do as a recruiter is sales? She goes, no. I said, it is, by the way, 100%. Of of um, and I said, whatever the job is, she goes, what about facility operations? I said, okay, if I'm the facility operations person at TMAX and I need a new piece of equipment and that piece of equipment is going to cost me 10 grand, I need to go to my boss and sell that, sell that person why I need that piece of equipment. So if you're in PR, you're selling stories. So everybody's pitching, selling something. So, um, but to get back to your question about don't need to start in sales, thousand percent agree with you. I mean, listen, analytics was a job that didn't exist years ago either, right? So you can graduate and have a skill set in analytics and that's, a, that's an entry point for you. Um, I, I, people overlook certain business functions too because they don't think they hire entry level. I remember back when I was working at the Eagles, there were entry level people working in facilities. There were entry level people working in HR. It just looks that way because it's quantity, right? So people go to a career fair and they see, you know, I think about the career fairs that um, that are held at, at arenas, right? And, and by the way, there's nothing wrong with them if they're done the right way. And you walk around the concourse of the arena and they, they all have booths set up. And if 90% of them have ticket sales jobs, I get why you think that that's the only entry point, but have a conversation with those people and network to figure out where there's another role in that company that might be hiring, not just ticket sales. But it is a quantity quality issue. I get it. Yeah, I think based on some of the education that folks are receiving, they'll sit in front of a hiring manager um, or talk to you and say, look, I just want to get my foot in the door. I'll do the ticket sales thing, but I'd really want to be in marketing. So, and I always tell people I'm like, if you sat down with Google and we're like, yeah, I just want to take this job to work at Google, but I really want to be a developer. I have no interest in being in PR. They'd be like, 
I don't want to hire you. Like I want someone who actually wants to do this role and grow within this role. I'm not looking for someone who just wants to come in here just to be here. Right. So like, it just yeah. seems like it sounds good in your mind. I think as a younger person to say, I'll do anything versus like, no, this is the actual role I'm applying for because this is the role I want. Yeah, I agree 100%. And, and, I, and again, huge turnoff on our side too. I mean, at the end of the day, um, I, I, I would I would take that call and go, oh, well, I would or rip up that resume, right? I mean, it's, it's a shame, but that you're right. And I think, listen, at the end, one of the things that I, I would tell people, and I told you, I, I kind of regret not doing the job in minor league sports, but, um, you know, there's whatever you can do and people always think about it needs to be an internship or it needs to be a paid internship or a co-op, depending on the school you go to. I think getting those experiences from freshman year on and figuring out if you, what you, it's almost about limiting what you don't like. And, and so I, I was lucky enough, I went to a school where I could do, you know, paid internships or co-ops is what they were called. But I've started, I started working as a work study and volunteered and I started ruling things out. Like, yeah, I know I don't want to do that. Like it was a matter of checking off things that I know I don't want to do based on, okay, I experienced it but I was still building up skills and, and ones that I thought could transfer over um, because you graduate. I think we, people come to us sometimes and they're looking for an entry level job and they graduate with, they just, just the degree. And, and you know, the only experience they have is working at, you know, the local Rite Aid or CVS or Rita's water rice. And you're like, well, that doesn't, there's nothing. There was not even an effort. And, and by the way, if you can't do an unpaid internship because of family or, or socioeconomic issues, try to get, you know, if you can do, you know, volunteer thing, it's one day, right? I mean, the New York Roadrunner, New York Marathon, go get a volunteer job, New York Marathon and, and see if they, you know, think about the, the, you know, big roles, big events. You know, if you're, if you were in Miami a couple weeks ago, you couldn't get a volunteer job, you know, at the Super Bowl or um, the PGA always has volunteers at the higher, that's four days, right? It's not six months. It's not your whole summer. I think you got to build it somewhere, right? You got to, that resume, I mean, I'm a huge resume guy, right? So if I don't see, if I don't see anything on there that showed you put any effort in, I don't care if you work, you don't want to work in sales or not. I'll find a job for you. I honestly, I'll try to find a job somewhere for you because you, you put in the effort to get valuable skills and you build a network truthfully. I'm so happy you said that because that actually was going to be my, my next question is there's, there's the sports management degree. We talked about this earlier is no longer a guarantee to get into the, the business because sports management as a major has significantly exploded in terms of an opportunity at most colleges around the country. I mean, people realize this is billions and billions of dollars at stake. So it makes sense to have a major. The people who like come out and say, hey, I have my degree. I got a 3.6. I'm ready to go who have done literally nothing to even show that they've done any type of experience while at the school, getting involved with their school athletics, getting like you mentioned, volunteering at the Super Bowl, doing something in the summer with their local minor league team, Cape Cod baseball, whatever it may be. How what are some other good examples have you seen from people who stand out from the crowd upon graduating? Yeah, and you're right, and especially because it's an industry. And this is again, I'm, this is very much a generalization because our degrees and our industries, the reason in our industry and the majors, whether it's undergrad or graduate degrees, for the most part, you're not coming out with a technical. Like, so I think about you know, I went to I went to a school with a lot of engineering majors. You know, those are that's a very technical degree. So even if you didn't have. Um, you know, any experience, didn't do any internship, volunteer work, but you had a degree in civil engineering or biomedical engineering, you still have the degree and you'll probably still get a job, by the way. And same thing with IT or computer software. Like you're still coming out with a hard skill, accounting, finance, you come out with hard skills. And and, and again, those are you know, easier to kind of land something right away, even if you don't have the experience. But if you're asking me, you know, that person that doesn't get the internships, the part-time jobs, the volunteer work, 
Um, the only other options, honestly, is project work. I mean, so if I think about um, the opportunity to work uh, for an organization and do case studies or project work for them um, that is still tied into academics, I'll give that, per I'll even throw that person a bone, right? So uh, a new, you know, the XFL starts up. If there's not a, there's, and there, there, there's gotta be, right? But if there aren't university students that didn't think a way to, and there's probably professors that have done this, that think about ways to help the XFL with their ticket sales or their marketing or whatever it was, their logo design, their color schemes, right? And that wasn't an internship. It wasn't a part-time job, but it was purely a project and a case study. Fine. That's practical. I need to see practical. That's my big thing. I mean, yeah, it's, it, it just, we, we talk about this. There's, there's a couple of things you control in life. It's effort and attitude, right? And it just takes some effort to, to get something beyond the, and no offense to Chili's being a waiter at Chili's while you're in school for four years. And I understand money is easier for some people to manage, but you'd still, if this is your passion and this is what you want to do, just show us that you have gone a little bit out of your way to, to experience something where you can have a story to tell. Cause right, every interview yeah. is your story. Like how do you tell your story better than the next person? So when I'm sitting with you, I'm like, I need this person with me along for the ride. Cause I can work with them on a day-to-day -day basis. I agree. And I, listen, I, and I, and I can't be hypocrite either. Right. I, 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 I'm a little bit of a practice we preach uh, going back in my career. I think about exactly what you said. Cause I, again, the Chili's and, and you need to make money, right. And you can make more money, uh, you know, at Chili's with your tips and you will, you know, working, uh, you know, a, um, a minimum wage job in the sports industry. I get it. And I, so I had somebody ask me that question, like, you know, are you, are you saying this or did you actually do it? And I, and I'll tell you that I had, I was, I think it was a sophomore. I can't remember this you know, long time. It's you know, 20 years ago. So I was a sophomore in college or junior in college, somewhere around there. And, um, I had just landed a part-time job at the Philadelphia Eagles working game day. It was great. You know, just, you know, game day job working Eagles game, temple football. Um, when, if there was a lacrosse game or a concert or a major soccer event, I, you know, I was, I, you know, I was there and I get, you know, got paid eight or nine bucks an hour. Right. So I thought it was a great gig, good resume builder. And it was time for me to look for my, and at Drexel, they call them co-ops. I was looking for my co-ops and I had two offers. I remember this to this day, I had two job, uh, two co-op offers and one was 16 bucks an hour and one was $15 an hour. And neither, and those two had nothing to do with sports, by the way. They were just, just kind of your random business jobs and they probably would have helped me uh, gain skills. And then I had an interview at the Eagles. I remember um, the interview was at the Novacare complex. It was right next to the field. We were in the lunchroom where all the players eat lunch. And I'm sitting there with the guy who eventually became my boss. And we were talking and I said, Jim, uh, and Jim's an executive right now for the New York Roadrunners, um, but was just one of the best bosses ever. And I said, Jim, I just landed this part-time game day job with the Eagles. I said, I'm thinking I'm, I'm leaning towards one of these other two jobs just because they pay $16 an hour, so whatever, whatever it was at that time. And, and the job with the Eagles was paying minimum wage, right? It was, it was, you know, barely going to cover my gas money. And, and he said to me, Mark, he goes, you can take those jobs. It's fine. He goes, you'll miss out on two things, which is this is a resume builder because you're going to be here 50 hours, 60 hours a week. And you're going to also meet a ton of people. You're going to meet a lot, every, every department, you're going to meet them. And he said, do what you can do to sacrifice. So I listened, I, I, I moved, I didn't live on campus anymore. I left the dorm in the apartment life, moved to home. And again, I, I was afforded those. Not everybody can do that. Right. I moved home, asked my parents, Hey, can I live here? I'll cover my gas. I'll cover my insurance. I just, I can't pass up on this job at the Eagles. And by the way, They've since become a client. You know, one of my first jobs out of college, I, we, we recruited and filled a few jobs, the Eagles. I placed people that worked, I, I worked with at that time and just some lifelong friends at that time. But that was a decision I made getting paid 10 less dollars an hour just because, I, again, it had to be done. It, it, I couldn't rely on the part-time job just working Sundays for the Eagles for four or five hours. This was a, I, again, I now listen, the beauty of that experience, by the way, you can tell the fun stuff of sports. I feel like we always talk about, you know, it's a business, it's a job. My first week on the job, I go to the lunchroom, 
in front of me in line was Brian Dawkins. Brian Westbrook was behind me. And I sit down on meeting lunch with my boss and Reggie White walks past me. Right? So they're cool parts of the job. Um, I was there when they went to four NFC championships and they lost all four of them. And then they finally won one and went to the Super Bowl. So there can be fun parts of the job. I'm glad I took that job. If I had taken the other two jobs, I wouldn't have had life experiences either. No, I, I, it's funny. You look back, it's crazy to say 20 years ago now, but I try to instill on most people like, look, None of us have money at 22, 23. I don't care what profession you're in, unless you became a doctor. And even then you're, you're still broke. Right. Yeah. So, cause you don't necessarily worry about the financial aspect of everything. Find yourself the right opportunity. That's going to help you get to where you eventually want to be. And it, it might sound like impossible to do it, but we've all been there. I was, I mean, I started with the giants and the New York giants, you start with the, the Eagles. I was, I have still have my first check after two weeks, I cleared like $495. This is like living in New Jersey and New York with $495 is literally impossible to do, but you figure it out. And you look back on those times and be like, wow, I kind of missed that. That was awesome. Like yeah. figuring out how to survive with your buddies. It was just, it's just a different time and life changes as you go along. But like to, to, to pass up on those type of opportunities based on just sometimes financial decisions, and I look, it's easier said than done for some, I, I, sometimes you just have to big, take a bigger look at the picture and realize there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. And you know what? It's interesting too. And, and again, it, it's tough. Um, I'll tell you when I moved home, what I didn't stop doing was um, I still kept a part-time job at, on campus. So I, I kind of navigated it, right? I mean, you need to get creative with, with it. Um, and I kept a part-time job working at this indoor tennis facility, by the way, I've never played tennis in my life, but I kept, <laughs> I worked, I worked just two, two other part-time jobs because again, you're right. I didn't have any money. My parents, I'm, I'm by no means just very much a middle-class family. So it wasn't like they were tossing money my way. I mean, they, yeah, they helped me here and there, but um, you're right. I mean, I think making those sacrifices early on paid off later. They absolutely paid off later. So you were in Vegas recently and led a, a forum, um, and a lot of it had to do about culture. And this seems to be always a topic that younger folks generically say, tell me about your culture, which is a really loaded term, right? Like culture has got a lot of different meanings and a lot of different things for a lot of different people. What have you seen in terms of, and how do you, how do you tell younger people or even people that are long, uh, been in the business for a little bit while now, to, how does culture impact their decision and what should they be looking for in terms of the cultures that they think would be the best for them? Yeah, you know, it, it's funny because that, uh, you're, you're right, and whether it's young or old, but I, I, I kind of laugh, laugh when you said young because I think sometimes we'll, you know people will look at, um, and I'll, you know, I'll pick on Google because you said that, right, or, or Facebook, right, where it's, you know, uh, what you can wear to work that day or that there's ping pong tables or that there's sleep pods or there's a coffee bar. And, and by the way, when people talk about culture, whether it's somebody that's 18, 22, or 52, um, the culture can can be that to some people, right? The fact that they can go to they can work from home certain days of the week, or they can dress any way they want, or that they get lunches paid for. It. I, I I hate people that define it as not those things because if, if that those are important environment things for some people, then so be it, right? We have a client I won't name them. We have a client a few years ago when they uh, we filled three or four positions that were a startup at that time. Now they're huge. Uh, and they shared an offer letter and the contents of the offer letter showed all these benefits and these perks, right? Think about things like, um, you know, they, they, uh, the company paid for their, their dry cleaning. Um, their, um, they, they allowed them a certain number of uh, an allow kind of an allowance towards tickets per month to use. Right. And we kind of had this discussion internally. We're like, 
for some people, those are great cultural benefits, right? And, and those, those make them happy. So it doesn't always need to be what we then, what the people that say those aren't important, right? Um, having an office with a view or a ping pong table or, um, or, or happy hours and, and, you know, kind of a, a cooler full of beer, you know, for Friday, you know, who, I'm, not, I'm not sure why anybody says those aren't cultural things, but I do understand people that say, no, it is about ownership. It is about leadership, people that invest in their staff, um, you know, the ability to, um, to, you know, stability, but also progressing your career, continuing educate, right? All of these things uh, can be wrapped into education, by, or a, a culture, by the way. And I, we had just did an interview this morning for somebody that was asking about Prodigy's culture. And I, it wasn't that I was stumbling over, but I, I kind of wanted to know what they wanted to know, right? I said, well, what, are you curious about what it's like to work for a small company? Are you curious to know what it's like, you know, do we, cl- yeah, we collaborate a lot, right? Is, is leadership open to new ideas? I mean, all, and, and we got down to the heart of what the person was asking us, but um, it's a loaded word. It's a loaded question. Um, again, I, I, my, my big issue is I think it can be both sides of it, right? It can be all of the tangible, but also can be a lot of the intangible things. Um, and it is important. Uh, that it is the right culture because we've placed people in jobs and we realized it was a bad fit and and both parties realized it after the fact right on paper it was a great match on the skill set the credentials the person's network yeah great hire they got in there and it was no it it, it just it wasn't it wasn't a match at all um you know and, and again sometimes i think that's when we start a search chris honestly you we talked about this at the very beginning about how we do what we do here at prodigy we start a search before, I mean, honestly, I care a little bit less about the job description than I do talking with the hiring manager um, and talking with the people that work there about about the culture, about the environment, about the expectations. And it's not always possible because of our geography, but when we can, we'd like to meet with these people in person. We'd love to visit their offices. We did a search three years ago, and the best thing that happened to us was that we got a chance. We spent two half days with them. We went, we met with everybody from the owner to the president to the very most, the junior, we walked, we got off the elevator and we asked if we could meet with the receptionist for 15 minutes, right? Just so, so it's hard to overlook that as an important thing, but I think it's got to be a factor. Culture shouldn't be the, the only factor when you're deciding on taking a job. It's got to be a factor and it's got to be a critical one. It just can't be the only one. I think you, you kind of touched on it a little bit in terms of getting deeper. What is a better way? For folks to ask that question right because like i just culture just so generic and so high level what, what is a better way you think people can actually get to the root of what they're trying to find out well and it depends on what's important that right i mean i hate to say and i never like by the way it's a typical day here because that answer would be yes and there is no typical day right but what's it like to work here what's the long you know people that it's interesting i had somebody ask this question and i think they were getting at that heart the heart of the question for people that have not worked out here right if you fired not not a prodigy but just at, at the companies we might recruit for for people that haven't stayed long, people that have fired or been laid off or they've left on their own accord, what are the reasons for that, right? And I think that, that kind of go it, that works in reverse, you know, that's on the reverse chronological, right? That you're kind of working backwards to say, it's going to tell me more about the culture of the company because they didn't last, right? They weren't able to stay there. Um, you know, it's interesting. I would tell you that we've had people ask our clients, you know, that, that same thing, right? Who visit our offices, uh, who've talked with us over the phone, who've met us at, at, at conferences and networking events about about our company before they want to work here as an employee, right? And I think that's important to do too, right? I mean, asking clients, asking people that don't work there anymore, um, in a bizarre way, asking their competitors, but asking their competitors in a way where you're, you know, you're going to get something straightforward. You're not going to get, well, that guy's a, and you know, insert the word there, right? But yeah. I, I can tell you, I've worked at some of them, right? And so I tell you the good and the bad. Um, yeah, I again, I hate to say what's typical day. Like that's not really what you want to know. What's it like to work there? You know, what's the good? What's the bad? And trying to ask that question, by the way, when you're not on the phone with somebody's boss, right? And because if you're if you're asking it when they're there with the C level people, um, like we're we're hiring for an intern right now. It's funny, 
and, and it's, it sounds so minor. They've gone through two or three rounds of interviews. And by the way, the first two haven't even been with me or Scott, right? So I hope that the candidates are asking our newest employee who's only been here a few months and our and one of our employees who's been here five years that same question. And just, hey, what's it like to work there? What's the environment? Um, when I walk through, you know, when a bad day is, what's a bad day like there? And, and why is that a bad day? How do you guys react to bad days? And so I think it's more about, you know, getting the full picture than just asking one singular person. And by, by the way, at this, at this most senior level, listen, if you ask, I'm sure Al Guido and Scott O'Neill and all mm. you know, they're going to tell you their version of, of, of what the culture is like. But also, don't be afraid to ask, you know, two or three levels down. And, and you'll probably get the same. I think you'll get some similar answers, too, by the way. There's nothing wrong with that. But I think you, you can get it from all different levels and make sure there's consistency. Somebody actually said this on an interview. They said there was there, you guys gave a very similar answer and it didn't, didn't feel like a Kool-Aid type of thing. Like, I, I hope I'm like, well, great. We all drink the Prodigy Kool-Aid. I said I, that just means we're consistent in the answer. And I hope we That's gave a, good thing. a transparent answer, too. Yeah. I mean, I think to your point of if all of a sudden everyone has a different version of what the culture really is, that's not a probably a, a good Absolutely. sign. Absolutely. Um, transitioning to another topic that is very typically uh, awkward for some folks, specifically younger folks, is salary negotiation, yeah. right? We know that there's not a lot of money to be there. There's not typically a lot that's to be had when you first as an entry-level job. But as you start progressing through your career, moving up the ladder, opportunities from yourself come along some tips on how to best approach that when someone off makes an offer to you and then I'll be able to come back and say, this is why I think I'm worth X. You know, what's fascinating is that, um, I mean, now, listen, there, now there are rules that now there are laws, certain, certain States, obviously you gotta be, you know, on our side, you gotta be a little bit more careful about how you ask that, how you frame it. Um, in, in the, in the way you do that is, is a little bit tricky, right? Just from a legal perspective, I, I would tell you that, um, you know, from the, for the most part, people in my position and even hiring managers, I, we're never trying to trap someone. I always feel like there's that. And, and again, I understand why, right? We don't want to overspend. And, you know, we, we I think most searches that we do and most positions that are open have do have a budget. That's very real. Um, but what else What else is real is that we also get told, hey, for, for the right candidate, we'll, we'll spend more or we'll go above that. Um, I would say transparency is key on both sides, right? As it's not always on the candidate side, the hiring organization, the recruiter, the talent acquisition person needs to be as transparent as they possibly can be. Um, if, if it's too vague, I remember years ago, somebody telling me, you know, they'd like to make somewhere between one and $400,000. And I was, at that time I said, yeah, so do oh, I, right? yeah, <laughs> nice. can, can we work within a, you know, a little bit. So, so the answer I've told candidates more recently, what, what I've instructed, what I've kind of given them as guidance is, is you can still give a range, just have it be a little bit more of a respectable range, right? I'd say, so, okay, I, I want to be between 125 and 150. That feels a lot different to me, or I'd love to be in the high five figures or low 100s, right? You can use certain words and terminology um, that, that don't, you know, position yourself in a bad spot, but also look at the full package, right? Not just, not just healthcare and retirement. And, um, and if you're, if the company offers continuing education or certification, you know, they want to pay for you to get more schooling, you know, all those factors, um, you know, PTO, um, but what are the bonuses and commissions? You know, when are they getting paid out? Um, but to honestly go back to the word negotiation that you use, um, we tell candidates, you know, when appropriate, right? Um, because we tell the clients this as well. You should expect negotiation, especially if a majority of our searches involve some sort of sales element. Uh, again, even if it's a marketing position or if it's an HR job. And you're going to want them, you know, an HR, HR person needs to negotiate with a potential vendor, right? Uh, a marketing person needs to negotiate with, um, with media agencies, right? So everybody's negotiating with somebody, right? So when they get an offer, 
don't no neither party should be offended by the during the negotiation process unless it's a time to get to get offended right where you're asking for a number that's never been seen before um but ne negotiation and a counteroffer by the way are are normal there's nothing wrong with that at all if it's a sponsorship salesperson and they don't they don't counter part of me in the back of my mind i won't tell our clients this right away i'll figure out the way to phrase it and the timing to say it. That means they won't go and ask for another 10 grand or another 100 grand from a, from, from a potential sponsor or the renewal is going to be much more difficult or the upsell is going to be much more difficult. So, um, again, it, it's got to be done delicately. It's got to be done with tact. Um, I think people doing their homework is not a bad thing either, but realizing the research they're doing isn't perfect, right? Whatever salary, there's a million salary calculators out there um, and you can you can probably dig. Um, listen, we've had people call us and just ask us to do some salary studies for them, right? And saying, hey, listen, we've canvassed the industry. Here's what we're finding. And it depends on cost of living in a certain market, but here's what you should be earning. Um, so I, it, you're right. It is tricky, I would say, at the entry level because you, you probably don't have a lot of, you don't have a lot of leverage, you know, at that level. Um, but it's okay to ask for a little bit more. Um, and and I, I'd say a little bit more is relative, right? We Not that we do these searches often, but when you take on a manager or a senior manager, maybe even a director search. And that's that's kind of that three year, five year window. Um, you know, you can still ask for a little bit more. It's just, you know, going from $50,000 $50, to 60 is a little bit different than going from 50 to 100, right? So, right. so, you know, I think knowing the incremental numbers you can ask for without, again, offending the other side of it is fine. Listen, you might also need an advocate. If you're working with a recruiter, whether it's us or any other search firm, use them as, as your advocate too, right? And, and bounce ideas off of them. We've had people come and say, hey, listen, we're going to, you know, I'm going to ask the employer for this much more. Like, here's what's going to happen when you do that, by the way. Probably going to rescind the offer. So, or they're going to be offended. So let's get started on the right foot. Here's what we would go back to them and say. So I think that's part of the equation. No, that's, 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 that's very helpful. I mean, I, I, it seems like even most people are always, that's the awkward conversation that comes up and even in a promotion or negotiation or anything in terms of a raise is, is money. People just sometimes feel bad asking for more and they're sometimes hesitant and feel like they're going to offend somebody by asking for more. But to your point, I, it's pretty much expected by the the hiring manager that someone's at least going to come back. It's a part of the negotiation. And spe specifically if you're in sales, right? If you don't ask for more money to your point, like how are you going to ask to close the business if you're not willing to ask for more money for yourself? Absolutely. And listen, if you win in certain areas and lose in others, I mean, if that's part of the, you know, you get an offer letter and you're trying to win on, on all 10 points, uh, you know, figure out what the most, you know, if you're going to lose on money, but you win on other things, you know, again, wh whatever that may be, you get a larger title or there's a bigger bonus, you know, again, whatever you can get, or maybe there's a signing bonus, or if you're relocating, you get a bigger relocation package. Like we've worked with clients before that offer these, you know, incredible relocation packages. And if you think about it, Chris, and you take a step back and you're not getting the base salary that you want, but you're getting a large relocation package that pays for your rent, that pays for your mortgage, um, that pays for, again, if you get a car, so you're not, you're not putting more money out of pocket because you have all those other things covered because you get a car allowance. Well, those are part of a base salary as well. Whether you want to call it that or not, it's part of a base salary as well. So there's ways to kind of, there's ways to make that work. And, you know, you get creative when you get to the offer stage. No, I think sometimes young folks overlook the the cost of benefits and healthcare as that factors in as obviously you and I have like if with families, you're like, okay, I need to make sure this is the part of it because that's a huge aspect of life. Um, so uh, it, just real quick, probably quick hitters for yourself. Uh, what has been the most rewarding job placement you've seen through? 
Oh gosh, um, that's a great question. You know, I was thinking about this the other day, and and I think sometimes I might lean towards I, where I place somebody, and they've been there a really long time, and that then and, and and that's a good thing, right? There's stability. That person clearly has had success. Um, there was a gentleman. I, we were just down in um, down in Atlanta for the National Sports Forum, and I probably didn't tell him this, but I saw him, and, I, and you know, we we chatted for a few minutes. Um, I'm proud of this because he's still there, and that's Don Rovac at the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, he's either the VP or senior VP of Ticket Sales and Service. Uh, I placed him 13 years ago and and so um so he's still there um you know one of the bigger roles um I did a position for major league baseball advanced media and it was a senior level uh, revenue producer um and right again and, and she had success there um but now she's uh, i believe chief revenue officer for barstool and so you think about people that you placed at one time and have since really progressed really far along in their career um you know recently we've had uh, you know we've had a few you mentioned um you know the the one with fenway and that clearly was a big role for us um, for, for, um, for, you know, an international global organization. I mean, that, that's, that was a huge one for us. But Hi, the, Kate. Yeah. I, yeah. I just shout out to Kate Pratt. So I, you know, that, that for us was a huge one. Um, but I'd say we've had some successes with, I'll tell you, this isn't an answer because it's one placement, but longevity of certain, like we've, we've placed 15 people with Delaware North and the Boston Bruins. We've placed maybe upwards of, you know, seven or eight with the PGA tour. I think the ones that and it's not because they were the, always the big, you know, hopefully sometimes it was a director, sometimes it was a, you know, C-level position, but it, it was the consistency and the fact that they trusted us that we were going to give them, you know, the so I say the fact that, you know, organizations like that, by the way, and AEG is another one where they just, they respect our, our work. And so I say it's not always got to be the biggest title, the biggest job, although those are great and those are fun. I mean, listen, Kate, I'll tell you, Scott, Scott will tell you, Kate Pratt, our placement with you guys was one of our best ones in the last four or five years. And that's a great answer. But the ones that have come back to us for, five, 10, 15 searches. I think we, we have a, there's pride in that. There's absolutely pride in that. That's great. I mean, that's, it's to hear you ties talk about this, like the feeling you get from putting someone in a role that is rewarding for you on the back end is I think it goes back to when we first started this conversation, Mark was there is more in this world, in the sports world of opportunities to, to be a part of the organization, but not actually have to be at one of the major four and what you're doing from putting people in situations that give help them land their dream has to be an awesome feeling specifically when it works out for as many years as it has for other folks. And like you said, the people that have gone on to bigger and better things in their career just makes me want to encourage people to like, look, just because you're not necessarily working for Fenway, you can indirectly work with us Absolutely. and still feel that passion that comes through from people who are successful in our roles. Absolutely. And that, listen, that goes, and I don't know if people, you know, again, whether you call us an agency or a vendor, but that exists in, in I mean, like SeatGeek or StubHub, you know, you can work on the technology side or, I mean, and you're still interfacing and you're still, I mean, I go to a conference and I and I know that they know all the teams, right? And I, and I um, you know, I had a conversation and, and uh, you know, talking with a couple of gentlemen from MVP Index. MVP Index does a lot of social media work and they, again, they have nothing to do with, they, 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 they there's no team. They're, they're, they're a technology and they're a marketing and they're a media company. And they, again, social media company, uh, digital, and they were they they knew every team at that conference I went to. They they were they were going to the dinner that night with the San Francisco 49ers, right? So they that's on the peripheral. That's just as much as Prodigy's on the peripheral, right? We're not a team. We don't have games. We don't have uniforms. You know, we have our own logo, but you know, nobody else is walking around with those. By the way, you know, you can't you, yeah. can't you can't buy them on you know on any online store. By the way, so but we can call fanatics. We can, we can make that happen. <laughs> so like, fanatics, another great example. Fanatics doesn't work. You know, they're they're not a team, right? But they, you know, they work with every every team out there. So you're absolutely right. So uh, one last question for you. Uh, based on your experience, you've been in the business now for quite a while. You've seen it evolve over the past fifteen to twenty years. To obviously, technology is accelerating what we do. 
where do you see this going? Where do you see sports headed? Where, like, what do you think is next for us in this, in this world? And, and what is the next big thing? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I, I hope that, and I think about, I think about it in a, again, a micro, but it applies to the macro that if our firm doesn't continue to get searches in, and or more searches in esports because we have, but we need to do more. Um, you know, we've done four or five. We could probably do ten or twenty searches in esports. We just, you know, that so esports is still a fascinating thing. Um, but I think people are cautiously optimistic about esports. We've never done a search in sports gambling and sports betting. We'd love to do something in sports gambling and sports betting. That's tremendous. Um, but again, I think we, you and I, just mentioned a few firms that, um, that, that, that space is, is evolving fanatics in, in, in SeatGeek or, uh, listen, Topgolf has top, Topgolf might, might have an IPO this year. Right. And they're an organization where, again, they've grown tremendously over the last decade and change. And, and so I think about, um, organizations like that, that, yeah, listen, the MLS is going to continue to add teams because they're going to continue to add teams. But I think it's fascinating to follow, um, on our side, like the Jaguars are client of ours and Jaguars are playing two games internationally next year. Right. So, um, you know, it's interesting to see the expansion of the, of the big five beyond, you know, again, there's going to be teams in Canada, more teams in Canada. There are going to be teams in, in, in South America, Mexico, they're going to be teams in Europe. Right. I mean, so I think us, um, us following that and, and being a, trying to be a part of that, um, is huge, but I, uh, listen, you know, what we're fascinated by, we've, we've done a lot of searches in the facility space. Facilities are cool to us, right? So taking on searches where we're helping to find the next booker or the general manager or the VP of operations for these new facilities or these facilities that are going on going under major renovations. That's fun. That's exciting. So uh, anything you'd like to specifically mention about Prodigy Sports, how to find you guys, how to find you on Twitter? Uh, Absolutely. Feel free to take the form. I appreciate it. So if you go to prodigysearch.net, uh, not prodigysearch.com, um, it's a long story there. So prodigysearch.net. Uh, um, obviously, we have a great LinkedIn presence, ton of followers on there. Uh, Twitter, we have, again, a prodigy search one, but we also have our individual ones. Look up, you know, please, please feel free to add me on LinkedIn. Follow me on Twitter. Um, again, or anybody on our staff. Again, I said we have a staff of eight, nine, ten people. I guarantee you all of them will, add, will be glad to, you know, have each other follow each other on Twitter or they'll uh, gladly accept your connection requests on LinkedIn. We're, we're very active on social media. Um, we tell great stories. It's not just about our job, but we hate being, you know, that we used to be this firm where we just put all of our job postings on those social media platforms. We try to, you know, interact with people in a different way on social media, but otherwise, yeah, prodigysearch.net. Otherwise, look for us at all-star games and conferences and that we, you know, we're in the people business, right? When we see events, we see a conference, you actually won't see us in the sessions that often. You, we'll usually be high, hanging out by the coffee bar, right? Ready to talk to somebody. So That's where I am too. We're very we want to give out business cards to everybody. So talk to us. <laughs> well, Mark, this was awesome. Uh, I, I actually learned a lot just by hearing some of your advice. And I think from a listener standpoint, I, this is going to be extremely beneficial to folks who need that kind of kicking the ass and eye-opening thing to make sure that there's other things out there, how to be approaching opportunities. I can't thank you enough for your time. This has been really, really great. Uh, looking forward to continue the conversations. I can specifically vouch for Prodigy, known those guys for a long time. Definitely, as he has encouraged you to reach out and get to know them. The opportunities that come across your guys' desks are some of the most sought after in the business. So good people to know and good people to start networking now it's not it's never too early to, to, to start to get to know mark and scott and all the folks over there at prodigy so thank you mark appreciate your time and have a great rest of your day my pleasure thank you so much chris really appreciate the opportunity to participate